executive producer Isaac Saul. This is Tangle. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, the place we get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking, and a little bit of my take. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and well, they did it. Kevin McCarthy is gone, done as House Speaker. Republicans ousted him yesterday. We are officially in uncharted territory, unprecedented, all the words I feel like we're using a lot recently, and somehow... It's usually true. So we're going to talk about what happened, what happens now. It is a wild story. Personally, pretty surprised about where we are. So yeah, before we jump in, as always, we'll start it off with some quick hits. First up, LaFonza Butler was sworn into the Senate on Tuesday afternoon to fill the seat of the late Senator Dianne Feinstein. Number two, a New York judge overseeing former President Trump's civil fraud trial imposed a gag order on him after he made posts on Truth Social attacking the judge's law clerk. Number three, Hunter Biden entered a not guilty plea on three counts tied to his alleged illegal possession of a firearm. The trial comes after a plea agreement fell apart earlier this year. Number four, Carrie Lake formerly entered Arizona's Senate race and became the GOP favorite. She is likely to face off with Senator Kirsten Sinema, who registered as an independent, and Representative Ruben Gallego, the Democrat, in a three-way race. And number five, the Michigan Supreme Court will allow the parents of the Oxford school shooting to stand trial for their alleged roles in the deaths of four students. James and Jennifer Crumley are the first parents to be charged following a mass shooting in American history. For the first time in the history of American democracy and the first Congress of 1789, the Speaker of the House has been removed from his position as the leader of the chamber. By a vote of 216 to 210, lawmakers booted Speaker Kevin McCarthy, throwing the House into chaos and into unprecedented territory. Speaker Kevin McCarthy forced to surrender the gavel following a rebellion led by members of his own party, led by Florida Congressman Matt Gates in particular. Hardline Republicans furious at him for making a deal with Democrats and moderate Republicans to avert a government shutdown, essentially upset with him that he kept the government open. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Yesterday, the House voted to remove McCarthy, the Republican from California, as Speaker of the House, marking the first time in American history that a Speaker has been removed during their term and bringing the chamber into disarray. McCarthy said on Tuesday night that he will not run for Speaker again. The interim Speaker of the House is Patrick McHenry, the Republican from North Carolina, a close ally of McCarthy. McHenry said Republicans will have a candidate forum next Tuesday and an election next Wednesday. The final vote to remove McCarthy was 216 to 210 in favor of removal. Eight Republicans voted to remove him. 
Andy Biggs from Arizona, Ken Buck from Colorado, Tim Burchett from Tennessee, Eli Crane from Arizona, Matt Gates from Florida, Bob Good from Virginia, Nancy Mace from South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale from Montana. Democrats could have voted to keep McCarthy in the speaker role, but ultimately decided against it after a closed-door meeting on Tuesday morning. In the end, every Democrat in the House joined the eight Republicans, though four Democrats were absent for the vote. The effort to remove McCarthy was led by Representative Matt Gates, who has spearheaded a hardline conservative bloc of the House in opposition to McCarthy. McCarthy's critics say he broke promises about cutting spending and passing appropriations bills individually. They objected to the debt ceiling deal he made with President Biden in May and the stopgap funding bill he helped pass to keep the government open this past weekend. In January, it took 15 rounds of votes to elect McCarthy speaker. The last time that many votes were required to pick a leader in the House was 1859. In order to win the gavel, McCarthy gave concessions to Gates and the House Freedom Caucus, including a commitment to tie spending cuts to the debt ceiling, a promise to vote on all 12 appropriation bills individually, and a plan to balance the federal budget within 10 years. McCarthy also ceded to a rule which would allow individual House members to call a no-confidence vote on his speakership to remove him at any time. After McCarthy passed the debt ceiling deal without spending cuts and helped pass a continuing resolution to keep the government open, rather than introducing 12 appropriation bills individually, Gates used the last of those concessions, the ability to bring a no-confidence vote, to oust McCarthy. Gates said McCarthy broke his promises and lost the trust of the House Freedom Caucus members who helped elect him. Kevin McCarthy went down today because nobody trusts him. Kevin McCarthy has made multiple contradictory promises, Gates said. However, some of the eight Republicans cited different reasons for their vote. Representative Mace, the lone moderate to vote him out, said McCarthy had failed to help women get access to birth control as he had promised. She also said she was taking a principled stand based on her conservative position. Representative Burchett said McCarthy had mocked his Christian faith. McCarthy's supporters argue that a small faction of the Republican caucus held the speaker hostage and ultimately led a revolt, despite McCarthy having the support of over 200 Republican members in the House and the majority of Republicans in the Senate. With no House Speaker, the chamber is effectively paralyzed. That means in order to advance their agenda, Republicans will need to find a replacement for McCarthy quickly, a prospect that seems unlikely given a lack of clarity about who might step into the role. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, the Republican from Louisiana, is considered a favorite but is battling blood cancer, which would complicate a job that requires long hours and lots of travel. House Majority Whip Tim Emmer, the Republican from Minnesota, has also been floated, though he endorsed Scalise Tuesday night. Representative Jim Jordan, the Republican from Ohio, initially said he was not interested in the job, but is now reportedly considering it, as is the lesser-known Kevin Hearn. Some Republicans have suggested former President Donald Trump take the gavel, which is constitutionally possible, but very unlikely. Meanwhile, Democrats announced they would again put forward Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries as a candidate for Speaker in hopes of winning the votes of some moderate Republicans. That is an unlikely outcome, too, as the Speaker representing the minority party in the chamber has not been seated since the Civil War. Today, we're going to take a look at some reactions from the right and the left to this latest development, and then my take. First up, we'll start with what the right is saying. Many on the right are upset with the outcome, but mostly agree that McCarthy fell victim to the concessions he made in order to become Speaker. 
Some focus on Democrats' role in the vote and argue the party would have benefited politically by saving McCarthy. Others say the entire ordeal is being overhyped by the media and won't have any effect on Republicans' electoral prospects in 2024. In National Review, Philip Klein said McCarthy's speakership came with a ticking time bomb. On Tuesday, that time bomb exploded, leaving him without the speakership and with House Republicans once again plunged into chaos, Klein wrote. While Gates should not be viewed as an honest broker, McCarthy also put himself in this position by cutting the deals he did in a desperate attempt to become speaker. At the time, I noted that he was in the position of either allowing Republicans to get blame for the disruptions caused by governing failures or cutting deals with Democrats to keep the government functioning and risking his ouster. McCarthy calculated that once he got into speakership, he would be able to placate his skeptics through various symbolic measures, populist messaging, his alliance with Donald Trump, and moves such as opening up the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. For a while, his strategy seemed to be working as well as it could given the small majority, and I thought I might have to eat my words. But he could only keep up the High Wire Act for so long. Now, a few Republicans have plunged the House into disorder. In the Daily Beast, Matt Lewis argued the Democrats blew a huge political win by voting McCarthy out. It would be understandable if Democrats decided to remain neutral on Tuesday by voting present, reasoning that it is a Republican civil war. But they didn't. Instead, by voting no on the procedural motion to table Matt Gaetz's motion and then voting yes on his motion to vacate the office of the Speaker, Democrats effectively voted for Gates, and a vote for Gates is a vote for chaos. The same dynamic is reflected in the broader GOP civil war between responsible governance and dysfunction. And what's worse is that sanity is losing, Lewis said. McCarthy didn't deserve or even ask for Democrats to bail him out. Just as McCarthy thought negotiating with Democrats was beneath him, Democrats prioritized partisanship and tradition over doing the right thing. Although Dems aren't to blame for this chaos, they have a moral obligation to strive for the best outcome for America, and based on the likely alternatives, Speaker McCarthy is probably as good as it gets. Yes, this would mean they would have to go the extra mile and be the adults in a fraught situation. But isn't it possible that Democrats would be rewarded for owning the adult brand? In the American Prospect, Dove Fisher said the House chaos is all media hype. Oh no, McCarthy, for the first time in history, and the House is in chaos, and the Republicans cannot govern, and Matt Gates just handed the 2024 presidency to Joe Biden. Get real, Fisher said. The November 2024 election will be decided by specific discrete things. One, events that unfold in the last four weeks before November 2024. Two, whether the GOP can do better at getting out an early turnout. Three, how the GOP deals with vote harvesting, unsupervised dropbox voting, and six-week election windows. And four, how the GOP handles poll watching and vote counting. The next speaker will have to walk a bit more of the walk, not just talk the talk. Appropriate money for the wall and to police that border as though it were Stalin's bedroom. Subsidize airfare and bus fare expended by Texas, Florida, and other border states to help transport illegal immigrants to street corners in the sanctuary cities where they are beckoned. Cut off earmarks and all the hidden bonanzas that each congressional representative tucks into the budgets, Fisher said. Republicans need to make it hard for Biden to govern by tying him up with money cutoffs and investigations and impeach the intestines out of him. All right, that is it for the right is saying, which brings us to what the left is saying. The left says McCarthy's ouster is the latest example of dysfunction within the Republican Party, but is also damaging to America as a whole. 
Some say the episode shows that the only behavior Republicans won't tolerate from their leaders is a willingness to work with the other side. Others praise Democratic leaders like Hakeem Jeffries for keeping the party unified through an unprecedented ordeal. The New York Times editorial board said Americans deserve better from the House of Representatives. The U.S. Capitol may be perched on a hill, but it is understandable why so many Americans look down on it. One of the main reasons is that their Congress, which ought to be a global beacon of liberal values, continues to succumb to self-inflicted paralysis. How else can it be that fewer than a dozen lawmakers from the outer fringes of the Republican Party are holding one of the world's oldest democracies hostage to their wildest whims, the board said. Without a speaker, the House can get nothing done. There will be no way to discuss Ukraine, the immigration crisis, or how to pay for the government's operations, though the money runs out in six weeks. Democrats have the White House and a one-seat majority in the Senate, while Republicans control the House of Representatives and appointed a supermajority of conservatives on the Supreme Court. President Biden's executive authority extends only as far as the courts have allowed, while the only path through the Senate is with enough bipartisan support to skirt the shoals of a filibuster. The government, like the nation, is divided, but that doesn't excuse Congress's inaction. With a divided Congress, the only way to get any legislation passed is with some support from the center of both parties. In The Atlantic, Ronald Brownstein wrote that McCarthy committed the only sin that Republicans can't forgive. The fall of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy today demonstrated again that the one sin that cannot be forgiven in the modern Republican Party is being seen as failing to fight the Democratic agenda by any means necessary. But McCarthy's record doesn't indicate a Democrat ally. As the GOP minority leader in the previous Congress, McCarthy voted to reject the 2020 election results in two key states and tried to impede the House committee that investigated the January 6th insurrection, Brownstein said. As Speaker, McCarthy empowered hardline Republican conservatives to undertake sweeping investigations of President Joe Biden's administration, as well as his son Hunter's, and unilaterally launched an impeachment inquiry into the president. Yet, on two occasions this year, McCarthy refused to risk chaos in the domestic and global economy, choosing instead to accept bipartisan deals with Democrats, first to avoid default on the federal debt, and then to keep the federal government open when it faced a possible shutdown last weekend. And that was simply too much collaboration for the eight hardline conservative Republicans who voted to remove him today, making him the first speaker ever forced out by a motion to vacate the position. In the New Republic, Grace Seegers highlighted Hakeem Jeffries as the big winner in the McCarthy trials. The most powerful person currently residing in the House of Representatives is not even a member of the majority. With Kevin McCarthy removed from the speakership thanks to a small faction of his own Republican conference, Democratic minority leader Hakeem Jeffries has hit something of a new stride. Having amassed support from Democratic members, he's riding a fresh wave of goodwill and maintaining a firm grasp on an often fractious caucus, Seegers wrote. With only a four-seat majority and eight Republicans voting to remove McCarthy from his position, the Speaker needed support from Democrats to remain in power. However, Democrats, led by Jeffries, remain unified. The unity is not only indicative of Democrats' universal loathing for McCarthy, but of their trust in their own leader. Jeffries' handle on this caucus is as strong as McCarthy's was shaky. Representative Don Beyer went so far as to call Jeffries the de facto Speaker, given his support from a plurality of House representatives. Naturally, Jeffries also benefits from being minority leader rather than speaker. It's far easier to remain unified when the primary goal is opposing the majority rather than coalescing around a set of legislative priorities. Jeffries may not instill the same fear in his caucus that Pelosi could occasionally inspire, said a House Democratic aide, but Democrats are nonetheless united behind him. 
All right, that is it for the right and the left are saying, which brings us to my take. So there is just so much to unpack here that I decided a normal take is just not sufficient. So instead, I just wrote down 14 observations from the last 24 hours so I could cover a lot of ground and share with you some of my thoughts. Okay, observation number one. I've spoken more favorably about Gates and the House Freedom Caucus than most in the media. I've said over and over that I genuinely believe pulling back power from House leadership and restoring normal appropriations and spending processes is a good thing. But this, much like the debt ceiling standoff, is a terrible use of their leverage. They booted McCarthy without a plan for a replacement or what to do next, all with only a few weeks until a government shutdown. It looks self-inflicted, not country-interested. Two, their position is nonsensical. Gates and his allies were upset that McCarthy cut a deal with Biden and Democrats to keep the government open. The deal had the support of over 100 Republicans and almost the entire Senate. So Gates' response is to get seven Republicans to vote with the entire Democratic caucus and against over 200 Republicans to oust McCarthy? So vote with every House Democrat to punish the sin of voting with some Democrats. Number three, this is really all fallout from the 2022 election and the failed red wave. Republicans had a handful of candidates, people like Sarah Palin, who had proven herself too extreme for an Alaska that recently reformed its voting process, and John Gibbs, who ran on a far-right platform in a purple Michigan district that lost to Democrats in easily winnable elections. Republicans' margins got thin, so McCarthy had to make unworkable deals that were always going to fail. Number four, Gates is right about McCarthy. He is a swamp creature who did everything he could to become Speaker, including saying he'd do one thing, then doing another, over and over and over again. And Gates is ostensibly holding him accountable for that behavior, which is anathema to many in the Republican base. Consider this perspective from former Representative Justin Amash from Michigan, a longtime Republican turned independent. He said, quote, Kevin McCarthy was by far the worst leader I served with in the Republican conference. Unprincipled, incompetent, duplicitous, vindictive, and entirely transactional, end quote. Observation number five, Gates made McCarthy's job impossible. He and most of the eight Republicans issued demands on spending and appropriations bills that never would have been passed, which is part of the reason why McCarthy wasn't able to honor his promise to bring the bills up individually. As the Wall Street Journal editorial board put it, there is a good argument that McCarthy's transactionalism helped him be a pretty effective speaker and Republicans just cut off their own head. Number six, the argument we cited above from Matt Lewis that Democrats, quote, should have done something is really silly to me. Democrats were actually considering saving McCarthy. Then McCarthy spent all day Sunday blaming Democrats for the near shutdown and said he wouldn't do a deal with them to keep his speakership. He also reneged on his debt ceiling deal with Biden and launched a dubious impeachment inquiry that many in his party don't support. Why would Democrats save him? Why is it on them to solve the Republican divisions or reward his behavior when he is openly refusing their help? blaming them for his caucus's problems, and trying to impeach their president. Point number seven, but Democrats might really regret not saving McCarthy. He is duplicitous and unreliable and seemed held hostage, but he was also in many ways predictable. He respected Washington, D.C. and the office. He was willing to build a relationship with some Democrats. 
He did the right thing by keeping the government open, striking a deal on the debt ceiling, and looking for some bipartisan wins. Now, Democrats may end up with someone more extreme and more captured by the right flank. It is very possible they end up in a worse position to get their agenda passed. Number eight, Nancy Pelosi. In retrospect, wow. For a couple of years, she had the exact same five-seat majority that McCarthy had. I have a hard time remembering a day where five members of her party openly criticized her, let alone tried to remove her as speaker. Of course, I despise the way she took power from her members and shoved legislation down their throats. And I don't respect the spineless Democratic representatives who never fought back when they disagreed. But still, you gotta respect Pelosi as a tactician who managed to always get what she wanted, now more than ever. Point number nine. Funny thing, this entire drama is something politicos and journalists like me could obsess over and talk about all day, but it probably won't impact your average American at all. I can't think of a single story off the top of my head with a larger gap between historical significance and will matter to average Americans than this one. It's quite possible, unless this leads to another government shutdown, which it might, that none of this impacts 99% of you in any tangible way. So there's that. 10. Donald Trump is the de facto leader of the Republican Party, and his political instincts as they pertain to the party's base are typically better than most career politicians. For whatever it's worth, this is how he reacted to the news. Quote, why is it that Republicans are always fighting among themselves? Why aren't they fighting the radical left Democrats who are destroying our country? End quote. Number 11. Fox News reporter Guy Benson hit a bullseye when he tweeted this, quote, it's just perfect that House Republicans are now trying to huddle and figure out what the hell to do next, and Matt Gates is right where he wants to be, on the House steps, surrounded by journalists who hate him, but love R-on-R chaos and therefore love this. That really is the whole ballgame, in my opinion. Number 12, we literally don't know what happens next. This is, as has been said a lot recently, unprecedented, but there are some experts who think McHenry, the interim speaker, can actually preside over normal congressional business if his colleagues let him. It's possible he ends up in this position for much longer than a week, and it's also possible the business of Congress restarts under his stewardship, despite the common understanding that nothing can happen in the House until a new speaker is elected. Number 13, don't be surprised if Matt Gates ends up getting expelled from Congress or House Republicans change the rules to neuter him. Remember, 210 Republicans backed McCarthy and eight voted against him. If they didn't loathe Gates already, many do now. On top of that, he's in the middle of an ethics investigation that very well could end up with a damning report about his conduct. And finally, number 14, you know who is elated right now? Joe Biden. Approval ratings in the mud, economic sentiment terrible, stories about him being too old in every news outlet, and now this. More evidence he can use to say Republicans aren't a serious party and they are incapable of governing. Shoot, he doesn't even have to say it. North Carolina Republican Senator Tom Tillis said it yesterday. He told reporters, quote, it raises questions about whether or not some Republicans can govern. That is going to be an issue. It's a gift for Democrats at a time they really need it. All right, that is it for my take. We are going to skip your questions answered today because guess what? We got a little long. This story is a big one. But in the meantime, if you want to go check out our YouTube channel, you can do that. We have a new video coming out today where I talk about how to fix presidential debates and examine the latest Republican debate with an eye towards improving things a little bit. I think you might find it interesting. 
All right, next up is our under the radar story. Former Trump chief of staff John Kelly confirmed for the first time anonymous accounts of former President Trump's conduct in office. Kelly told CNN that Trump did indeed describe prisoners of war or those wounded in combat as suckers and also alleged that Trump didn't want to be seen next to military amputees because, quote, it doesn't look good for me. Kelly also confirmed a report from a 2020 story in The Atlantic that Trump didn't want to visit the graves of American soldiers during a trip to France because they were losers. He claimed Trump is not truthful about his position on abortion and also claimed he admires autocrats and murderous dictators. Kelly was Trump's longest serving chief of staff and had resisted confirming many of the allegations on the record until Trump attacked General Mark Milley last week and accused him of treason. CNN has the statement and there's a link to it in today's episode description. All right, that is it for our Under the Radar story, which brings us to our numbers section. The number of days Kevin McCarthy served as Speaker of the House was 270. That's the third fewest in American history. The percentage of House Republicans who voted to keep McCarthy as Speaker of the House was 96.3%. The number of House Democrats who were present and voted to keep McCarthy as Speaker of the House was 0 of 208. The number of Senate Republicans who voted to support the stopgap funding bill was 40 of 49. The current number of active members of the House is 433. That includes 221 Republicans and 212 Democrats. All right, and last but not least, our Have a Nice Day story. Brad Montague is an author of books aimed at engaging the curiosity of kids and the creator of the hit web series Kid President and Kid Congress. In 2011, some middle schoolers approached him for help with a problem they had learned about in their local shelters, a shortage of socks. Now, every fall, when the weather turns cold and the need for warm clothing gets larger, he celebrates Socktober as a month to donate much-needed socks to shelters and encourages others to start their own drives. This year, Socktober drives are happening across the United States and beyond. Schools have made it one of their annual community projects, Montague said in a blog post. We've seen places like Sesame Workshop, Happy Socks, Microsoft, and more jump in. Happy Socktober, Good 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 has the story, and there's a link in today's episode description. All right, everybody, that is it for today's podcast. As always, if you want to support our work, please go to readtangle.com slash membership. And don't forget, we've got a new YouTube video up, how to fix our presidential debates, because they are very clearly broken. I've got some ideas. I share them on the channel. You can find us by looking up Tangle News on YouTube. We'll be right back here same time tomorrow. Have a good one. Peace. Our podcast is written by me, Isaac Saul, and edited by John Law. Our script is edited by Ari Weitzman, Bailey Saul, and Sean Brady. The logo for our podcast was designed by Magdalena Bakova, who's also our social media manager. Music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more on Tangle, please go to readtangle.com and check out our website.